Alrighty, here we go. It's the final episode for 2020 Racing News, episode 31. We did say, Kyle, this is going to be a bit of a special one. We did uh, a bit of a chat about GC50 in episode 30 only about a week ago. Since then, it's been Christmas and a bit of an informal event of ourselves. But um, yeah, this one's going to be an overview of 2020. It's been an extraordinary year, uh, not just in running circles, but in, I guess, all walks of life. Uh, I guess for me, Kyle, just off the top of my head, it's really brought into focus how important running is in my life this year. It really has been a constant. And I think in, in this year, people have been looking for a constant, haven't they? And running has been a constant for everyone. So I think for a lot of people, it's really, I don't know, taken on a new sort of part of their life. And it's really emphasized how important, not just running, but exercise, whether that's swimming, whether that's biking, whether it's going to the gym or whatever it is, it has been. But um, yeah, it's been a, a crazy year, hasn't it, Kyle? But nothing more crazy, I guess, than uh, last Sunday, yeah, uh, we, you, we finished the year off with a bang. You, you gave a bit of a sneak preview to people that we were, we were curious about this last one standing concept, this this loop course, hour after hour after hour. Uh, and we've been chatting about it and we decided to put it on informally with a few people and it turned out to be quite quite a day, quite a day with lots quite of stories the during the day. Yeah. So run us through it, Kyle. So, well, this all started, like we've said before, because – a good friend of our Travis, friend of ours, Travis, had said, "How hard can it be? You know, this six point eight k's an hour." So we thought we'd put it on. We obviously picked one of the warmest days of the year to do this, which was perfect. Um, but we all knew that going into it. But I think we all kind of stood there at the start, and everyone was kind of on the same page of going, "Oh, this can't be too bad." You know, twelve hours of jogging around. How hard can this be? No one really wanted to say it, but I think we we're all somewhat thinking it. Um, and it started off well. It was, again, I'd, we'd been talking about this for ages, what it was going to be like to actually do one of these events and see what it feels like. And the first few hours ticked along nicely, as I would expect. They didn't feel like they were too hard. It wasn't too hot. Um, I probably, and again, because we knew we were only doing 12 hours, I was probably running them a bit quicker than I would if I was trying to go as long as I could. So the first few laps, I mean, we were together for the first few. We were probably coming through in mid to, uh, mid to high 30 minutes kind of range you know, i think we're about 5 15 5 20 minutes per kilometer pace which felt really comfortable at the start and i'd said to you at the start i think i'd prefer to run one of these races kind of running what pace feels comfortable to me versus trying to run really slow which doesn't feel quite natural and it almost feels worse um so that was kind of how i decided i was going to run it and then we all kind of got through the first few hours everyone was just enjoying it and then it started to get quite warm around lunchtime um and then there was a few of us that kind of started to notice the heat a little bit more, and I'm sure you can talk more about how you went through the middle of the day. Um, but, yeah, that was when it started to, you know, I was still feeling good at that point and then got to just after kind of lunch and that's when it started to, to really warm up. But I suppose you can chat through that middle part of how you found that kind of first, I don't know, six, seven hours. I, I was talking to Ben Deneen this morning actually and Emmett um, about, about it. And I said to them, I became so acutely aware of my own struggles and my own fatigue not fatigue in terms of like running and things like that but just just the heat i became so acutely aware of the fact that i couldn't i couldn't bring my body temperature down i couldn't get cool so if, as you said those first five laps so we're up to 35k was absolutely a breeze it was a walk in the park and even the sixth one through the marathon distance at 42 it was smooth sailing absolutely fine but i was aware of how much i was actually sweating and I think we were sitting down after the sixth one and I looked at my heart rate after 10 minutes and it hadn't come down at all. My heart rate wasn't dropping in that recovery zone. And so I became very, very aware of how hot I actually was. And I think I said to someone at one stage, I'm just, I'm overcooking here. I'm, I feel like I'm just in a sauna. 
Um, and I went out on the seventh one and by that stage I'd started to put um, a buff around my neck and I'd wet it and I put ice in there and I put ice in my head and I was sucking on the ice as I went through it. And on the seventh and the eighth, I went downhill so, so quickly, so quickly that it was, it was quite scary. And as I came in on the, at the end of the eighth one, I, I said to Teresa, I'm in a lot. I think I actually said to you after seven, actually, I'm really struggling here. But, you know, you, you go through those stages. But then I kind of thought, well, the eighth one's not going to be that much worse. And it was significantly worse for me. And I finished the eighth one. I said to Teresa, I'm in a lot of trouble here. Like I, I, I was very, very aware of, of how bad I was going and how, how much it had dropped off and how much the heat had really started to take it out of me. I was starting to feel very dizzy. And I don't know where you feel dehydration, but I feel it right in the back of my neck. I get it right up sort of the base of my, my head and underneath sort of where your neck joins you, the back of your head. And I was really tight through there. And I basically had to make a decision. And I think if it had been a race, I probably wouldn't have made this call. But I had, I just said, I said to Teresa, then I sort of whispered to her and I said, I think I have to, I've got to call this. Like, I really have to. Like, I'm, I've, I looked at how much I deteriorated from six hours to eight hours and I know it was getting very, very hot then and I thought, I've got four hours to go and I really can't, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't physically know if I can do this to myself. I, I, had it been a race, you think, well, you just got to suck it up and get through it. I know that. But I was looking at that phase then just going far out. Like, as I said, I, my, my awareness and my attentiveness to how badly it was going was really, really paramount in my mind and I was just going, I've got to call it. So I ended up finishing it, the eighth one. Um, and just sitting there, I don't think I actually walked out on the ninth, but then I think I'd seen people do that last one standing. They want to finish it. So they walk out on the ninth and then they turn back and come back. And I sat down and I think I sculled just just litres and litres of fluid. I think I had a, you know, a whole bottle of Coke within sort of 10 or 15 minutes and I didn't feel any better. Didn't For the next two or three hours, didn't feel any better at all and was just able then just to sit and watch you guys do it. But extraordinary, just the heat really took it out of me. And then you can talk us through what happened then from 8 to 12 for you. Yeah, well, I, funnily enough, and looking back on it, it was probably a bit of my downfall, was because the effort was quite low on the running parts of the of the day, I, the first probably eight or nine hours, I felt amazing. Like I wasn't really sore at all. I felt great. And I could feel that it was hot, but I felt energy was really good and everything felt fine. But looking back on it, the biggest mistake I made for the day was that I was relying too much on the, the brakes to fuel. And I was getting a lot of fuel down and food and things in the breaks. So I was getting 20, 25 minutes break or rest every hour. So I was using that as a great time to refuel, restock. But yeah. I was taking nowhere near enough with me when I was running. And I think looking back on it, that's definitely the first thing I would change was, especially when it's that hot, was just having a whole lot more fluids and electrolytes on me during the run because I just mm. wasn't taking much with me. Whatever I took, I, I would drink, but I wasn't having much. I was too much relying on those stops. So that was working fine. And I got through, I think, the first eight or nine hours, and I think my seventh and eighth lap were my fastest laps. I kind of picked it yeah. up a little bit there, and I felt really good. Um, ninth lap was fine, and then I, got, I think like the ninth lap was the first lap where I said I want to start trialing some run-walk strategies because we'd always said this was a goal just to see what this was like and to experiment a bit. And because I'd been running a bit harder, I didn't want to just kind of keep pushing because I knew that's not really realistic for the one of these events. So I started playing around with a couple of run-walk strategies, and the first one I did was I ran for 2Ks, walked for 400 metres, ran for 2Ks, walked for 400 and ran the last 2Ks to make up the, the 6.8 kilometres. And as soon as I started doing that, the laps just felt a whole lot longer. Yeah. I think breaking, and I spoke to you about this this morning, that I think breaking it up like that, like I was constantly just looking, waiting for the splits to happen. So I'm you know, more concentrated on what distance I was at and what time I was at versus just switching off and running. And then I did even shorter run-walk intervals in the next lap, and it felt even harder. 
Um, and then the 11th, and that was the end of the 10th lap. But even after that, I was still feeling okay. It was getting hot, but I thought, you know, two more hours, that'll be okay. And then the 11th lap, I ran with Rowan. So I think it was just the four of us left at that point. And I said to Rowan, I'll run this lap with you. And we jogged it much slower on that lap. And we just jogged the whole lap. We didn't walk at all. And it was only a minute slower than my previous lap, but I felt so much better on that lap. So that was interesting to kind of go from running at my normal pace and finishing a bit earlier to doing the run-walk intervals. And that didn't feel that great. And then actually running a bit slower, and that actually felt better at that point. So that was interesting, probably not what I would have expected. Um, And then at the end of that 11th lap was when I could really start to tell I was getting dehydrated. And I kind of went into... Not necessarily. It was more just that get it done mode. I knew I only had an hour left, so I wasn't necessarily worried about you know fluids and nutrition and hydration. Because I was just going, I've just got to get through this next. You know, we had the whole hour to do it because we knew we were stopping. Just got to walk, jog this next six point eight kilometers, and I'm done. Mm. So I kind of almost switched off from normal racing mode at that point. I could tell I was quite dehydrated, and then it was only towards the end of the last lap that. I tried to take a mouthful of water and we only had about 1,500 meters to go. And I just felt really nauseous all of a sudden. I said to the guys, I'm just going to walk for a little bit just to let that settle. And then we all walked for a little bit. We had plenty of time. And then we jogged the last kilometer into the, to the finish. And then as soon as I laid down, I just started to feel quite nauseous and sick. And I could tell I was really dehydrated and just felt a bit out of it. And I felt like that after, you know, long runs before, but normally, you know, 10, 15 minutes, I sit down, have a drink, have something to eat. And I, I feel good. And then it just kind of kept getting worse and worse and then it got to the point where we were driving home. I was sick on the way home. Basically, I was feeling absolutely horrible. I could tell my blood pressure had dropped. And then I kind of came good after that, got home, and just had kept having these little episodes of basically nauseous, vomiting, feeling terrible, and then I'd feel okay. Um, but it all kind of felt like it was typical, like I was just dehydrated, yep. heat exhaustion type stuff. And then it got to the point, it would have been a couple of hours after we finished when we got home, where I tried to have something to eat. And then went from kind of feeling okay to feeling absolutely terrible within about 10 seconds to the point that I'd basically passed out and lost consciousness for a period of time at home, which gave Caitlin a bit of a fright. And by the time I came to, she was on the phone calling an ambulance because I hadn't responded for a little while. So that was a bit of excitement for our nights. I ended up at the hospital on Sunday night after that for a couple of hours and you know, ran through all the tests and everything was okay. I just basically heat exhaustion, didn't get enough fluids down. Um, so it got a couple of litres of fluid into me on Sunday night, which made things feel a lot better. Um, yep. And then got to come home Sunday night. But it wasn't the way I was expecting to end Sunday night. Um, <laughs> it was a trip to the hospital. But, yeah, it obviously got to the point where I just, you know, I, I did weigh myself actually when I got home. And I was about, I compared to where I was probably a few days before, I was about four kilos lighter. So I'd lost That's a lot massive. of fluid in that That's day. But it was interesting that I didn't, like, I, you know, looking back on it, of course, I, I wasn't getting enough fluids in. But I just... It felt really good. I felt fine. And it was only the last couple of hours where I just wasn't getting enough in and that just all caught up with me at one point and, you know, mm. body did what it did. So, and I think for me, like we chatted about, this was a very kind of informal event and I definitely didn't prepare for it like I would a normal race. And I said, <laughs> I said to Caitlin in the car on the way there, I feel like I'm just going for a run with the guys. Just we're about to just go for a jog. I hadn't even really comprehended that we we're going to be out there for 12 hours in the middle of summer running for, you know, over 80 kilometers. So it was probably that lack of, preparation leading into it that probably was a bit of my downfall but you know lesson learned I think I took a lot out of that you know you still even though it's not necessarily a big race that you've been training or targeting for you still got to respect that you're out there for for 12 hours running a lot of kilometers in the heat so lesson learned there fluid and hydration is very important but yeah very interesting end to the end to the day and that's that's what we said this morning, wasn't it? We're doing this Wednesday morning, so we've just been for Wednesday walkers, and we talked about it, didn't we? That it, it was informal, and you, you would imagine people who do the last one standing 
they would do preparation like this. They might even just do three hours or four hours, and then they would might build to six hours, and they might do an eight hours or a ten hours. And they would go. I, w- I would be very, very interested to know the people who listen to the podcast who've done a last one standing. Do you do this kind of thing? Do you practice, you know, mm. over six or seven hours? Is that something which you guys do? Is it, you know, because as we've said, or as you just said, then it is a le- it is a learning curve, and that's the whole reason we went into it, wasn't it? As purely curiosity. We knew that we didn't have 80 Ks of training in our legs, you know, for distance-wise. But there's the learning curve of, like, how do you fuel on these? How do, what sort of pace do you go? Is it a run-walk? Is it better to change your speed up? Is it better to go, you know, as you said, to jog a little bit slower but just make sure that you keep jogging? So I'd be fascinated to know from people who've done Clint Eastwood or Dead Cow or any of those ones, um, you know, is this something which is, is part and parcel to the training of Last One Standing mm-hmm. to practice this? You know, do you do a 12-hour through the night? Do you do a you know, six hours of this through the night? Because, you know, fascinating event. I'd, I'm, I'm delighted we did it. I, I'd, I said to the people afterwards, I'd love to do this regularly once a year, maybe not in December because I think that was a bit of a stupid idea. We, we knew that going in. But to do this once a year, to do it 12 hours would be great. Um, you know, I, I don't know I don't know if I'm fascinated by the actual event itself and whether I'd sign up for a proper one. Um, but certainly as an informal thing, it's a different type of running and a different scenario altogether, isn't it? It is. Well, I'd be interested to hear from you. Like, what are you, what would you change? Even though we only did 12 hours on, what would, was there anything you would do differently? Cause I know for me, there's definitely a few things I would change, but was there anything that you're thinking back now that you would do differently? I think I would go in with a definite plan in terms of pacing. Um, I don't think, I don't think we ran too fast at the start. I really don't. I think maybe what and we've spoken a bit about this in the days afterwards. I would maybe, I've seen people in the videos, you don't often see a lot what happens during the race or during the loop, but you see that they start walking at the beginning and they finish walking at the end. And I think that may be the way that I would do it. Maybe work, walk the first kilometre, walk the last kilometre to make sure you get that fluid in because there's an extra 15 or 20 minutes, isn't there, where you can really get some fluid and some nutrition in. And then maybe run the, the middle five. Maybe that's the way I'd do it. You know, and that gets you home within plenty of time, but you've, you're only running then for 25 to 30 minutes and you've then got 30 minutes of either walking or sitting to get the hydration in. Like you said, hydrate on the loop, which I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing at all. Yeah, I think, like I said, that was a big one Big one for me was focusing more on what I could take on during the loop and not just thinking about, okay, get the run done and go sit down and do it. But I think for me, like pacing-wise, looking at it, I reckon I probably didn't give myself enough credit that I could actually run slower comfortably. Like for me, generally when I run a bit slower, like I said, I feel a bit off and I just don't feel natural and it actually feels harder. But I've done enough ultras to kind of know that I've got that shuffling pace in me that I can do for quite a while. And I reckon I would almost rather run high 30 minutes or 40 minute laps. So say I might run at 5.30s or 5.40s or whatever just feels really comfortable, but then just walk in that last little bit. If I did that... I felt like the difference between running 35 and 38, 39 actually felt quite significant on the loop as far as the pace that you're running. But to have an extra two minutes rest over 20, 25 minutes probably didn't make that much a difference at the stage we were at anyway. I'm sure later on you'd you'd Mm. prefer a few extra minutes. But I think pacing-wise, I'd probably just go that little bit easier. And it was probably as well for me, again, one, we only knew we were doing 12 hours, so there wasn't that real risk of, you know, if you went out too hard, you were always going to be able to kind of get it done. But... It was also then we were running with a few people that were only coming to run a few laps with us. So, you know, if you if you if someone came in and just ran this with someone for a few laps and they're feeling fresh and they knew they were only running, you know, three or four laps, it's quite easy just to run at their pace. And, you know, it's quite, it is easy, but 
if you're only doing three laps and you could probably run whatever pace you want. Whereas if it had just been me by myself, I probably would have run those first few just that yeah. little bit slower. Um, so probably just, you know, obviously running your own race and not running just because other people are running, et cetera, and to change that. But fueling on the lap and probably that tiny little bit slower for me would have been a little bit yeah. better and not running in December was probably <laughs> the big takeaway. Oh, but no, it, was, it, was, it was a fabulous day, wasn't it? In terms of like yeah. mateship and in terms of just yes, doing that's something right. that's fun, um, it was a, an awesome day. And so to everyone who came out, all the other the guys and girls who had a go with it, whether it was a couple of laps or whether it was the full 12, it was, you know, thanks for coming out and I guess just throwing curiosity to the wind and see what happens. But out of the other three who finished it, Kyle, so I, I nicknamed you the awesome foursome. There was you, there was Michael, uh, Spence, there was um, Rowan Miller, and there was Sean yep. Lyons. I, I didn't realise, but Mike had a had, a, had some blisters, which I only heard this morning. So yes. I would say maybe he only had another couple of laps in him in terms of blister. But, um, I, I mean, Sean, we know. Sean's done milers. He's done 100Ks this year. So he's very fit. You know, Rowan's done over 5,000Ks this year on, on Run Down Under, and he's, you know, he's just come off the back of GC50. But those boys just got stronger and stronger and stronger as the day went on, didn't it? So out of those three... If, if it was to keep going, what, what would your prediction have been? That, because three more laps to the 100 uh, and then on from there, what, what do you think would have happened if you could well, make I think, a so we, I reckon we got to about so, two Ks to go on the last lap yep. and Rowan started talking like, oh, maybe we should just do another three laps and get to 100. <laughs> he was feeling great on those last couple of laps. He said he went through a little bit of a rough patch a bit before that, but he came good towards the end. So he was he was ready to keep running. He could have kept going for a while. And I think... I'd, we spoke to Sean, and Sean said he was a little bit, you know, dehydrated. You could tell he was a bit dehydrated and, you know, whatnot afterwards. So he you know, felt it a little bit that night. He, he reckons he could have only done a couple more, but I think those two could have kept going on for quite a while. Um, and again, if we had to go out again, I don't know, I definitely couldn't have done another lap with where I was at at the end of that 12th lap. That was yep. pretty much me done for the day. But those boys could have, I definitely think they could have kept going for quite a while longer but they've all said if we were running that for as long as we could we probably all would have done things slightly differently mm. i think that was probably the big takeaway is you know we always knew we only had 12 laps to do so it was easy to mentally just be like oh you know i'm just going to run do the 12 you know three laps to go two laps to go versus yeah. mentally that made it a lot easier if mentally if i didn't know when i was going to finish that would have made all of those laps a whole lot tougher so <laughs> again it was a nice little taster into it but yeah i can't say i'll be signing up for one anytime soon no i think i think i'm definitely the same um but yeah as we as we've said earlier haven't we in the, in the podcast episodes that one of the beautiful things about running is that there are so many different events there are so many different styles and this i guess for you and i and for everyone there just opened up another type of running it's so different from doing a 5k park run it's so different from a marathon and that's why i said before i'd, I'd be fascinated to know from people who've done this like what has your training been like how have you trained it? i know we've We've got a few people on Strava who we've watched. We've watched Ryan Crawford do his 42 or 43K a day, you know, at 1 a.m. in the morning, and he does that, you know, day in, day out when he was training for it. But what's the tactic? Have people tried – have they practiced over six or seven hours? Because I know for me that's something I would definitely want to do if I was to sign up for one would be to practice this over and over and over and over again um, just to make sure that you're absolutely 100% clear of, of when to fuel and how to fuel and how much rest that you need and all those types of things like that. But I must say, one of the most impressive things of the day, Kyle, was your chair. That was exceptional. <laughs> Tell everyone about your chair. Oh, it was just one of those lovely normal cam chairs, but it reclined back to pretty much flat. So I could lay in it and just have a lay down every every hour. So I was making the most of that. I think I was a few jealous people that I could lie down every lap. So I got that yeah. part of the day right anyway. So I got a few things right, but definitely some other things to work on. That was a That was a tick for the day. But of course, on a negative, the only negative to come out of it is that it's left, well, it's left me a couple of 20-odd k short of 
of getting to Perth and run down under, but more importantly, uh, the recovery required by you has also put you out of Monday, Tuesday this week, hasn't it? Yes, no, the plan was to to take, I'm going to be taking it very easy after that, you know, everything's feeling okay and I'm okay, but it's just still just, you know, respecting what I put my body through on the weekend and taking some recovery time. So, no, I will not be finishing Run Down Under by recording this on the 30th, so I won't be finishing it by tomorrow, but potentially in the next few days to next week, I'll probably get that done. I think I've got just over 40 kilometres left, so whenever that happens, that will happen. It's all there. Alrighty. So as we said, Kyle, so uh, this episode, episode 31, is a review or a bit of a recap of 2020. It's been an incredible year, uh, a very up and down year, as everyone has known. But I've got some podcast stats here for you, Kyle. I'm ready. Uh, I'm we have done this. Just from the Racing News uh, podcast this year, we've done 26 episodes, uh, which was kind of our aim at the start of the year, wasn't it, to try and do a few more. Yep. We were doing once a month last year, um, yep. and we talked about maybe doing once a fortnight, so that's pretty much bang on. 26 episodes um that's totaled just over 24 hours of podcasting so um there'll be some people out there who've listened to us to you and i just rabbit on i know unbelievable about, well done about everything for that long for over a day some people have listened to a day of content this year out of their 366 days they've been given in this year they've listened to you and i rabbit on for over an hour over a day um just about running stuff uh there's been about five about just over five thousand seven hundred downloads or listens across the year from different people um which has been incredible here we go what do you think was the most popular which episode do you think was the most popular and i'll give you a clue it was june the 8th it'd have to be the episode we did about the secrets of the goat loop or that one we did running around the goat loop i feel like that was quite popular or it'll be that's and number two. Mania. That was number that's two. Num- that's number two. June. What else happened around? It'd have to be one of the goat, let me go, goat loop series. I can't remember yep. which one. It one was. of those with the secrets of the goat loop or whatever. No, secrets of the goat loop was number two. We did that a few a few weeks earlier. This was a 100K goat loop interview with oh, Justin right. Kenwright and Ben yes, Dene. of course. So, um, yeah, June the 8th, that was the most popular uh, episode of the year so far. Um, uh, yeah, June the 8th, 100K with... Um, Justin and Ben Deneen. And while we talk about the goat loop, I had a really good chat this morning with Benny and Emmett. And we would, I mean, Emmett told me this bit of a story this morning about how goat loop 2.0 came about and how it came about through him being in a bad mood um, and how him being angry and a bit frustrated one day. And I talked, I said to them, you know, Kyle and I have mentioned um, doing a little bit of a video, a little bit of a documentary about the goat loop and its inception and going back and interviewing people like Ben Malby and people like Emmett and Brad Glover and those who, and yourself and Benny and, and those people who really were instrumental in starting the goat loop. And that's that sparked my interest again. So um, I can't promise it's going to happen anytime soon, but it's, it's, it's on the radar because, you know, we talked so much about the goat loop in the middle of the year. And there's a, there's a huge amount of stories that people don't know and you know how the name changed and all the different people that are involved in it. So, yeah, the, the history of the goat loop, it could come back in 2021 at some stage in a video format, which would be quite good to look forward to. Um but yeah, here we go, Kyle. Let's go through. We've got a couple of categories here. We've got about eight or nine categories we're going to talk through. But to begin with, let's go through what um, we've ummed and art about this one. Top three male and female with performances or moments of the year. Now, it's a little bit different, perform individual performance versus individual moment. But go through your females for me. Out of everything that's happened this year, what's your three, two, one in terms of female moments or female performances of the year? So- I'm going to do my performances for female and male, and I've got a couple other moments, but my 
three for the females was Haley Teal's win at the Brisbane Trail Ultra 110K when she got fourth overall. Yep. I thought that was a pretty incredible run and time on that on that course and to, to nearly go, you know, podium overall. And I know obviously she, she podiumed overall and won Scenic Rim Ultra as well, but I think she ran really well that day on, on that course on the Brisbane Trail Ultra. So she was my... She was my third one, and I feel yeah. like we're probably going to have some similar answers for these three. Do you want me to go through my other ones? Or are you... Yeah, you, you go three, two, one, and then I'll do my three. So two. my two was the top three females at the GC50. And I didn't really separate these out because I thought all three runs were, were very impressive, and it was more the performance of those three to collectively to run that race like they did and have that battle that they had across all 50Ks and never to be more than a minute or two apart the whole time. I thought that was just incredible performance. Um, and that was pretty hard to top because that was a quite an impressive performance by all three of those ladies. But I had number one for this year for the ladies, Risha Lewis being the overall winner at the Guzzler 50K, so beating every single person that lined up on that race. I think that's it's always exciting when, when the girls beat the guys in these races. So to see Risha go out and mm. to dominate everyone, in a trail 50k and it was a competitive one too it's not like it was just a little low-key one that she ran it's one of the bigger 50ks in southeast queensland so for her to go out and take the overall win that, that takes my my top spot for the year yep i'm you know kyle i'm i'm identical i'm absolutely the same but i'll give you some reasons behind it um yeah i had hayley teal her fourth overall at, at, at btu was extraordinary i mean you'd, you'd called it a couple of weeks earlier in our podcast that she was a chance for a podium and i remember watching it that day because that the track was really good you could kind of see where they were and at one stage, Haley was closing in on third place overall, but just didn't quite get there. So that that was a wonderful, a wonderful performance from her. And then I had, up until only a couple of hours ago, I had Risha in second and the, the GC top three females in first. But I changed it. I think I actually changed it on the drive. I was driving around yesterday or, today, or this morning. I can't remember when I changed it. But the, my reasoning behind it was is that Risha's performance as a female was completely isolated and on her own. And so there was no need for her to, you know, for her, if she's looking at winning the overall female, there was no need for her to win the overall race because she was so far ahead in the females race. So she had the victory kind of sewed up. Um, whereas the three girls in the GC 50 were kind of pushing each other for the, for the overall female victory. So I kind of thought that their performance was great because the other two girls in the race was great as well. Whereas Risha's was incredible as a completely solo performance overall you know, she pushed, you know, we, we know a few people who did the same race as her and she and they said um, that Risha caught them at sort of 20, 25, 26, 27K and then ran with them and then just kicked on late. So her her overall performance win, I think, for me, tops it. So, yeah, I had Risha Lewis in first, the, the three girls for GC50 in um, in second and then Hayley Teals in third. But wonder, and we've said this a few times this year on the podcast, great to have some standout females now at the top of the tree. And we know, there's a couple of other girls in there who, who've dominated in previous years who aren't in the names this year. But, you know, if they can come back, particularly people like Alana, if they can come back and Christy comes back and, and Britt comes back, then, you know, we've got some great racing, some great racing when you put those three in as well. Um, so hopefully there'll be more in for 2021. But what about your males? Run me through that. So my... Top three males. Now, again, I've gone off performances for this one, and then I'll chat about some moments afterwards. But I've got my third place. I've got uh, Jamie Lacey's course record, three hours, two minutes at the GC50. Um, yep. Incredible performance. To run that time in those conditions, you know, in a pretty good field, he, he ran phenomenally well. So, And I think 
I always like those performances where people just get absolutely every ounce out of themselves on race day. And for anyone that, you know, from what I've heard, everyone that saw him run that last couple of Ks and across the finish line, he gave absolutely everything. So to run 302 on that course was incredible. So he took out my my third place. Um, my second for the performances of the year, I've actually got Tom Brimlow's marathon time trial in at number yep. two. Now, we all got like, you know, everyone obviously knows Tom. We talk about him all the time on the podcast with what he does. But the thing that impressed me most about that performance was like the run itself was incredible. We kind of hoped he would run a time like that. But his training block in the lead up to that through the COVID period, now this was through the period where everything was shut down, all the races got cancelled. His training block was absolutely incredible. I don't think he missed a single run or a single session. I just, I'd get up every Monday morning and he'd done a 20 or 25K run with a massive tempo in the middle first thing Monday morning and he just hit every single session every week. I've never seen such a consistent block. So for him to have that training block through COVID, come out and run, I think it was 232, I don't know if I got that wrong, low 230 marathon in a time trial um, was just incredible. So he took out my my number two spot. Um, and obviously that was pretty hard to beat, to be honest. But I've got my number one performance for the year was actually Vincent Fletcher's win at Coastal High where he just went past and beat Courtney Atkinson because I feel like, you know, we'd all talk like Courtney was probably going to be very hard to beat on that course. So for Vince to come through and actually get the win as well because Vince has got a number of second place. You know, he was second to Tom last year at Coastal High. He was second at Blackhall this year. For him to come out and take that victory at Coastal High, I think it was very well-deserved and I think that was quite incredible performance the way he paced that and just his finish of that race was incredible how much speed he finished with so he took out my top performance of the of the year yeah and like you said i mean tom one of the things about tom's training that we know from being mates with him he does his speed sessions on a monday morning i couldn't imagine doing anything worse on a monday morning he gets up and he does his speed sessions he gets them done gets them out of the way early in the week so yeah that's incredible absolutely amazing from from those three um uh, so for me, for my top three, it's pretty similar to yours, Kyle, but there's a couple of different ones in there. Um, actually, there's one that's the same, two that are different. And I've gone a bit more sentimental. I've gone a bit more you know, personal and sentimental. So for me, in third place, Justin Enright, um, the 100Ks on the goat loop. Uh, again, very, very personal because it's something that we love. We love the goat loop and we've talked about it. But just the, I guess, the lead up to it when finding out about Justin when we were messaged that you know 100Ks has been done on the goat loop and then you go and you meet Justin and he's such a down-to-earth guy and he's so likable and he's so humble about it and you know every time we've seen him since he's just you know, so so full of joy and so full of happiness to see everyone and talk about running and I guess it, it kind of captured everyone's imagination in the middle of the year when we, we needed something we needed something because no, there's no races on you know COVID was really starting to affect people's lives and I think that for me just really gave people, you know, listening to this podcast and, and running around the Gold Coast, it gave them something just to be in awe of and something to be amazed of that we hadn't had for a couple of months. So Justin Enright was third for me. Then I guess that then flowed on into my second place where we, we talked about Goat Mania and we built Goat Mania up and then we talked about the 3000th loop, but little did we know how that was going to unfold on the day. And and so for my second, I guess this is more of a, again, it's a moment of the year rather than a performance of the year when when Finn Baxter got second, uh, uh, sorry, when he got the 3,000th goat loop. Um, and it was very much, we said at the moment, at, in, that, in the moment where it happened, it was almost like a handing over of the baton to the next generation in that, you know, we as, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds do the goat loop, we'll talk about it, but now we're handing it over to the next generation. And Finn got to be the 3,000th lap of the goat loop. And that was just, we couldn't have planned it any better. We couldn't have scripted it that way if it had occurred. And again, it just gave people some uh, something to smile about and something to really 
talk about and to love at a time again when you know things weren't going particularly well around the world and there was no racing and there was nothing really you know events were being cancelled all over the place so for me yeah second place for me was was finn baxter um his 3000th goat loop and then first identical to yours the vincent versus courtney show and i guess i got to see it firsthand and again it stood out this one is probably more of a performance but it's more of a battle when you when i was at that checkpoint at checkpoint three at the top of apple tree stairs and you come up and you know that they're, they're coming in together but you didn't expect it to unfold in the way that it did that that vincent flew into the checkpoint and courtney didn't and i remember it just the excitement in that moment of thinking we're about to witness something here we're about to see something which none of us thought was going to happen and that courtney looks looks like he was finished looked like he was gone and then we knew that vincent obviously from that point put you know five to eight minutes or whatever he did put on him from there through to the finish line but just that i guess the vincent versus courtney show just those three minutes at that checkpoint at checkpoint three was a real highlight of my year just to see i guess the energy and the power and the determination and the the fierce competitiveness that that does exist in amateur sport um so that was that was my first one but there were some other amazing events through the year weren't there i mean I, the ryan crawford versus brad glover 100 mile at glass house was another big moment what other, what other ones stood out for you well like funny like you said i'd written these down as performances and moments and i had three other moments that i'd written down which are almost identical to some of the ones you just mentioned i had justin running the 100ks on the goat loop i thought that was just one of my favorite moments of the year to see that i had Finns running the 3000th goat loop and i got to run that with him which was amazing so that was up there for me as one of my favorite moments of the year um yep. and then i just had that goat mania day i know probably a bit biased considering we built up some of the drama around it but just yeah. having that day in the middle of covid where there was kind of no races were on no events for everyone to become able to come out and you know just go out and run that on the same day and whatnot was a was a pretty cool moment for me for the year it was something that we haven't you know, we haven't really done anything like that before so that was up there as probably one of my favorite days obviously a lot happened around the goat loop this year but you know to be able to do that given what was going on at that point of the year was, was quite a cool moment for me so they yeah. were all all big moments for me yeah absolutely but um yeah hopefully there'll be just as good moments in 2021 a full race calendar that's what we're hoping for and you know i, I didn't think the battles were going to occur you know even a year ago when we're talking at the end of 20 or 2019 i didn't think that we would get you know a, a, like a, a vincent versus um courtney day i didn't think we'd get a brad glover versus ryan crawford day i didn't think you know the kieran o'brien you know and and nolas day that we had um the Haley versus risha battles that that materialized at, at coastal and things like that so um hopefully 2021 is going to have the return of a few as we said a few females will get back in from injury um a few more males will come into the mix as well and and yeah it's it's going to be a bigger and better year i think next year's top three male and female moments or performances will be even tougher but next category kyle what has been your uh, your standout um piece of gear for the year i haven't bought a huge amount but i'd be interested to know what what you have enjoyed using yeah. so i've got again my runner-up and then my favorite as well so my piece of gear that i actually got this year that i've used on every single run since i got it was i actually got a new heart rate monitor band and people yep. have probably seen the photos that i've been running with this random band that i've got on my arm just above my watch um but it's a skosh heart rate monitor band and it just i got sick of wearing a chest strap heart rate monitor just because it, it would fall down it would chafe and long runs you know i just didn't find them that comfortable um and my wrist heart rate is just so inaccurate on my watch and i so i just kind of turned off heart rate and just ignored it but ever mm -hmm. since i saw tom brimlow had one and he 
told me that he used it and found it quite accurate. I got myself one and I've used it for every run and it's been perfect. So that was that little piece of gear has just changed that for me as well. So that was definitely a runner up piece of gear for me that I've used on every single run and, and loved it. Um, and my favorite piece of gear for the year. Now I was a bit late to the party with these, but back in the middle of this year, I finally got myself a pair of the Vaporfly Next Percent, which have just changed everything for me. Like that pair of shoes. I'll never forget the first run I ever did in those shoes. I finished the run and I didn't even want to upload it to Strava because I felt like I'd cheated. That's how good they felt. Yeah. And that just kind of changed things for me a little bit this year. Finally, get, I'm a couple of years late on those super shoes on the road, but absolutely incredible. So that was definitely my, my favorite piece of gear. It's still the piece of gear that if I put those out and I know I'm running in them the next morning, no matter what I'm doing, I get excited to get up and, and run in them. So that was that was my gear for the year. But what about you? Well, we, we all know that obviously for the vapor flies and for alpha flies and anything like that, you've got to be quick when they release them before they sell out at all the usual places. But where did you get your heart rate monitor from and what was the cost of it? Just so people have a bit of an idea. So I got it online on the Skosh brand. So I think it's S-C-H-O-C-H-E. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yep. How you spell it. Got it lying over there. Um, but I just got it off their website. And I think they had a – I remember Tom telling me that they had, they seemed to have a sale. I can't remember if it's the first Monday of every month or there was some certain day or a week of each month where they seemed to put everything on sale. So I think it came down to around 75 or $80 for the band, okay. um, which is around that mark, which I think is fair. Like most heart rate monitor chest straps of that are a little bit more. So it's your standard price you'd pay for a, for a normal heart rate monitor. But I just find it so much easier to wear. You can wear it on your forearm or your biceps. Um it does the same way that a wrist heart rate monitor does, but it just seems to be so much more accurate for me. And just, you know, it's a USB charge and I just yep. find it so much easier to use. Yep. Yep. Uh, so for me, I mean, I've only got one here. It's it's something which is more of a, a dietary thing than anything. I, I found that last year um, I was running with a lot of the, the you know, the usual gel brands. Um, and I find them quite synthetic and, and really not very nice at all. And I, I was getting a lot of stomach upsets and a lot of sort of stomach cramping and, Really, just if I went for a three or four or five hour trail run, I'd find that you know if I if I take multiples of these gels, I just really wasn't feeling great at all. Um, and so then I moved over to the Spring Energy gels, um, which have pretty much changed my in terms of my long distance. I tried it last year at at the GC50 in 2019, and I found that over a sh- over a faster race when I'm going quick, I'd, I'd, it wasn't particularly great. But for the long sort of hikes or the long trail runs that I was doing in Narang, three four hours particularly when I started training for UTA this year in sort of January, February, March, I was able to go on these spring gels um, and they were amazing. I had no stomach upsets. My energy levels were high. Um, one of them has 250 or 270 calories, which is pretty much perfect for an hour. So instead of taking one gel every half an hour, I was able to now just take one gel an hour. And I, I just I found them absolutely amazing. They're made from whole foods. Um, and so for me, I'm, I really take an interest into what, I kind of eat and what I put into my body and things like that. And so, as I said, I was just feeling really uncomfortable with the the, the standard gels or the standard brands that I'd used in the past. So for me, that's been a big win. And I haven't used them too much in the back end of the year because I haven't been doing the longer trail runs. But now, you know, when training for UTA kicks off again, I'll, I'll, I'll order those online again. But, yeah, the, the spring gels for me, I think Speednut is the one that I use. That's the one that's got, um, you know, and they're vegan as well, which is great. For those who um, who are plant based, um, but yeah, I just found for the longer distances they were great. They were really good. So that's that's been my win of the year: the spring energy gels. Yeah, nice. um, what about? So let's go through the next couple of categories. Uh, we've got best national moment. So this is Australian moment and best international moment. Give us your two, Kyle. 
So I've got, well, again, for both of these, I've got two. <laughs> You're going to yep. get four answers here. Yep. My Australian kind of moments performances, I had one from the male, one from the female. I had when Jessica Hull broke the Australian 5K record this year over in Europe, um, broke Benita Willis's Australian record. She ran 1443. I remember getting up and watching that and just I was quite excited for that moment. So I put that up there as well because obviously, as people would have heard on this, we've had a lot of Australian records broken this year. Mm. Most of the middle distance ones have kind of gone on the female and the male side as well. So the other one that I put as well was um, Brett Robinson becoming the first Australian to break the hour mark for the half marathon. As far as Australian moment, I think that's a big marker. Most countries that are, you know have a history in running all have runners that have broken an hour before and we still hadn't had a runner that's broken an hour. So to finally yeah. see an Australian run under 60 minutes for a half marathon was was quite exciting. So that was back in February. So that seems like an eternity ago that he did that over in Japan. But to see him run sub-60 was definitely up there as far as Australian performances for the year. Obviously, you know, Stewie broke a bunch of Australian records as well. They'd be up there. But that was something that definitely caught my attention and got me quite excited. So what was your Australian moment of the year? Well, do, before we go into do your international, and I'll, I'll do my, my two. So do your international one next. Uh, Again, I've got one road-based one and one that was kind of a more ultra-trail one. Um, I had Joshua Chepty guy breaking Bikili's 5K world record. I thought that was, I, again, he did the 10K afterwards as well, but that was after the five, so they kind of, you kind of expected it after he did that. But for see, like that world record had stood for a long time. So to see yeah. him run 12.35 for 5K was just absolutely incredible. And then the other one I had was following along the Backyard Ultra World Champs for those few days that that was on. I thought that was just <laughs> incredible yeah, watching that, especially after the weekend, um, getting to follow that along in the live coverage. And, you know, I kept track of it through those three days that it went for. I, I loved that as far as a international moment. That was definitely a highlight for me for the year. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're great ones. They're awesome ones. I've gone on a slightly different tact. I've, I've chosen a national moment which hasn't occurred yet, but it's, it's going to, I think, have a massive impact on our, on our country. Um, the rescheduling, this is my national moment. This is a strange one, but the rescheduling of the world cross country championships into 2022. So I'm not sure if everyone knows, but we were supposed to have them at Bathurst next year in 2021 in March. And of course that got, that got canceled. And so I was looking at this, um, you know, for a number of months thinking, oh, like we've, it's unfortunate that Australia has, has had the world titles for cross country, you know, they were going to make a massive event of it, weren't they? Four or five days, they were going to have a kids race. They were going to have the golden ticket event. They were going to have an ultra. They were going to have an open one, masters, everything. We talked about doing a recce down there and going down there and and, and being down there for a couple of days while it was on. And then they cancelled it, obviously, with, with everything that's happened around the world. And I thought, wow, that's just so unfortunate for the country because it's this could have been a great moment. And then I thought nothing else of it. And then you guys told me a couple of weeks ago, no, no, it's been rescheduled for 2022. Australia still got it. The World Athletics have just rescheduled it. And that's that's now just captured me again. I, that moment that, they've, that they haven't just canned it and thought, you know what, let's cancel 2021 and roll it over for 2023. Let's actually put it in 2022 and give it to Australia again, I think is a great moment. And, and, and we have to be appreciative to World Athletics that they've actually done that for us. Because I think that is going to have a huge, it's going to show Australia on the world scene. It's going to be a big moment. I think, you know, like the Sydney Olympics was for, for all core kinds of events, like the Commonwealth Games has been for, for, the, for the Queensland. And I think for cross country and for, for grassroots running and for kids running and for, you know, youth running and masters running, it's going to be wonderful for everyone to be able to go down there and, and compete in whatever event that is. And I think it's, I, I just, it's exciting. I mean, I'm a cross country runner from, you know, 20 odd years ago. So I love it. 
Um, but that's for me. I know it's a weird one, but that's my moment because I, like I think what it, what it could what it could do for the country. Um, and as you said, there's been some extraordinary individual performances, and we only just um, Emmett told us overnight, didn't he, that the Australian all comers mile has been broken overnight. Three fifty. Three was it? Three fifty two. Three fifty flat. Three fifty. Stewie McSwain ran yep. three fifty down in Tassie. So third fastest Australian all time. So there's there's been some massive individual moments, but yeah, the for me the World Cross Country Championships uh, rescheduling in Bathurst in twenty twenty two. My um my world moment of the year again is very very different. There's records that have tumbled, but for me, whose place did we go to? Was it Paul? Paul Burdos's place, I think it was, wasn't it, yep. for the London Marathon this year when they did the 2K, whatever it was, the two-kilometre loop, and it was live and it was just the elite and it was Kipchoge. It was his moment, wasn't it, to for him to dominate and to do everything, and yet the great one fell. And and I guess for my international moment of the year then is is that moment at 30, whatever it was, 36, 37 kilometres where we were watching it and he drifted off the back, didn't he, by a couple of metres and you went, Oh, he's fallen off just going around that bend. And then he drifted again to 10 to 15. You're like, he's gone. He's finished. Like, he is, he's out of it. And that, that, just that moment where I guess for me, that was the rebirth of marathon running. Like, Kipchoge had it. And it almost, he was, he'd become so good and so dominant that he was almost killing it in, a, in, a, in terms of it being a race, of marathon being a race. Everyone was just looking at times. And we know that times are important, but I think most people would, would prefer to see a great race a great time i think i think you know for for most of us we we have no idea what those times really mean yeah we know breaking two hours is great we know a 201 202 marathon is amazing and you know th- those sort of times but at the end of the day we don't really know what that feels like or what it what it is but we know what a great race feels like we've all been there we've we've charged we've raced our mates at the end of parkrun we've raced our mates at the middle of the pack we've we've strived to get under 40 minutes or whatever it is for 10k so we know what that feels like and so to see kipchoge on the back of that pack and then drift away and i guess i would i'm fascinated to know what the other runners would have thought as well but they thought holy this is he's gone he's finished and then we had that sprint finished didn't we we had the big tall um the big tall adidas runner i think he was an adidas runner he was he was sprinting home and just a wonderful moment i remember driving home after that london marathon thinking wow it's it's on again marathon racing is back and it's you know, the great one has fallen and no doubt he's going to come back and he'll probably come back bigger and stronger than ever. But just to witness that moment, I think, very much, I guess, in, in line with the with the Vincent Fletcher, Courtney Atkinson, just that moment where you go, you witness something that you'll remember for a long time, that, you know, the great race at Coastal High this year and the, the great Kipchoge getting outkicked in the last five kilometres. No, I do yeah. remember that. That was definitely a, a big event for the year. So, no, I couldn't, can't argue with either of those. No yeah. good choices. Like what, that. um... What about personal moment? Let's do the next category. Your your personal moment of the year. Uh, I'm going to take myself back to the start of the year where I definitely think probably the highlight of, of running for me this year was when I finally broke 10 hours at Tarawera. That seems like an absolute eternity ago. That was when races yeah. were still happening. I was overseas. That seems like years and years ago. But I'd wanted to do that for a number of years. That was always the goal. And after missing it by three minutes last year, to go back over and sneak under by just over a minute um, was very that was probably one of the most satisfying runs I've had. Um, so that was definitely a massive a massive highlight for me was to finally finally sneak under ten hours and have a good run at Tarawera. And again, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to get back there this coming year. So I'll be very happy very happy and satisfied if that's the last time I run that hundred for a little while. 
Well, and, and I remember the day quite um, quite clearly because uh, I was sitting on the couch inside my house here, and I, I can't remember who was at the finish line. Was it someone? Was, Ando was at the finish line. Here it is. Was it was it was it Ando? I think we were talking to Ando about his race, and then we were kind of watching in the background, and we we knew that you'd be coming over the line soon. I think he just held his. I think we were doing Facebook Live, and there was a few of us on there, and he he basically held his phone up, and so we could see from his perspective, you coming across the line and yeah. we knew it was going to be close. And again, there was really good tracking that day. So we knew, you know, at, at some stage it looked like you were dropping back to 10.02 or 10.01 and then oh, he's under again and then you're back over. So it was, it was really yo-yoing through that last couple of hours. And then, yeah, what was it? 9.57 was it? 9.58.40, I think. I think it was 80 <laughs> seconds, less than a second a kilometre over that race that I snuck under. So that was... Yeah. A more of, I was probably more relieved than anything to do that. Yeah. I would have been a bit annoyed had I been two minutes slower. So no, <laughs> that was good. Definitely. Yeah, what about you? What was your what was your moment of the year? Um, so for me, I guess again, a, a moment where which I don't get to experience very often in racing was to be in a lead pack. So Glasshouse fifty this year, there was five of us, and for the first twenty five k, we we all ran together, and it was you know we were fortunate that. We had Jake Townsend in there and he was training for Blackhall, so he wasn't really racing as such. We had Jack Gill there and he was coming into to trail running, so he really didn't know his own potential. So I think we were fortunate. Uh, there was another guy there who was running his first trail race and then there was Brad Ed and myself. Um, so the five of us kind of ran together for the first 25 kilometres. And, and I don't know, it was just a moment where it was a, a really wonderful thing to be part of, that five of us were running together as a pack and we all knew that none of us were going to, take the lead and none of us wanted to push the pace but for 25 to 27k we were leading that we were the lead group in an ultra and as i said it's not something which i ever experience and it's not something i expect to experience again in the future but you know because often at, at my pace you're you, you're mid-pack or you're further back quite early on but you know no one wanted to take the lead and so for the first couple of kilometers through the single trail it was me in the front i was the i was the furthest guy i was the first guy in a, in a 50k race going through single trail and then to be part of the the pack and and brad when we ran with brad on the weekend at this the 12 hour thing we were doing we were talking about it and he said the same thing he goes it was just it was a it was a really really nice moment to have five of us together and and then we all obviously separated out in the last 20k when it got a bit a bit more hilly and a bit more serious but that's my moment of the year just to be to be, to be in a lead pack for such a strong like for, for such like a long it. period of time two, two cool and a half, yeah two and a half to three hours and as I said, for most runners, we, we don't get to experience that. Um, no, I, I yeah, don't like expect that. to again. But, yeah, that was my moment of the year. But um, next, Kyle, what, uh, what have I got here? Yeah, what have you learnt from 2020 in terms of running for the year? What's your, what's your big takeaway? I think for me, obviously, it's been a bit of a different year without racing. And I'm, I'm almost glad we've had the year as far as race, obviously, other things, obviously not. But racing and the way that it's kind of panned out, it's probably been a little bit of a blessing in disguise for me because – had the year just gone as planned, I probably would have gone from ultra to ultra as I have the last few years. But for me, the thing that I've probably learned that I've done differently this year that I'm so glad I've done was, one, the importance of me doing some consistent speed work. Like I've never done consistent speed work like I've done this year and I feel like it's paid off in you know, tenfold. I feel like I'm fitter than I've ever been before. But also mm. then mixing up my distance and surface a little bit. Like, the you know, I, I just look back at the weekend I just did and I raced park run and did a 5K race on Saturday and then did a 12-hour run on the Sunday. So to be able to mix it up and vary distances and things like that, I've really enjoyed this year kind of going away from the long trail stuff and doing some short, you know, racing on the track a few times and doing some running on the track and then short road stuff and then something like this last man standing for 12 hours and being able to mix that up and just do a variety of different races. Um, I still don't know exactly where 
I like racing the most. I kind of like all of it. I'd just be just excited to race a 1500 on the track as I would to run a 100k on the trails. So I, I enjoy all the distances as well. So being able to, I suppose, mix that up, but also giving the chance for my body to have a little bit of a rest from the long stuff this year and just do a bit more consistent speed work. I've, I'm glad I've had that lesson because it probably only, it took me to do it for six months in a row to really, you know, actually realize the benefits of it. You know, we all know that it's beneficial and, and how good all of that is, but it's not until you actually do it yourself that you realize, okay, this actually needs to be done. And it was probably me having that little block now that I'll definitely use that going forward. Even if I go back to longer races and, you know, the stuff that I normally do, I'm mm-hmm. still going to incorporate all of that stuff into my training more so than what I would previously. So it's been a bit of a mental switch from me from, you know, just all volume and easy long runs and et cetera to getting some actual quality work in there a bit more. And I think that'll, you know, pay off big time in the next few years if I go back into whatever whatever races I decide to do. So that was kind of my big, I suppose, lessons learned and takeaway from this year was was those couple of things. So I'd be interested to hear what, what yours are as well, given the funny year that we've had without a lot of racing and and the like. Pretty similar. We talked about it earlier. We did a, I think we did a podcast episode on it, the importance of being 5K fit. And that's my takeaway for this year is that I maintained a, a relatively good, you know, level of 5K fitness. And I think, you know, certainly in 2019 and 2018, I let that slip. And I, you know, when I started to focus and get a bit more into trail running, you know, I'd go out for three, three and a half hour runs on the weekend. And I think that that's enough. And I, I wouldn't do the 5K or I wouldn't do the 1K reps or I wouldn't do the, you know, I wouldn't do a park run. So that's, again, very similar to yours. The importance, and I have to keep that in the front of my mind next year, is that I want to still be, you know, I'd, I'd love two weeks out from UTA to do a 5K time trial and for it to be the fastest one of the year to know that I'm, I am, you know, it, I guess it's that feeling of strength, isn't it? You feel so powerful and strong um, when you are 5K fit. And I guess I equate ultra running in terms of long distance ultra running to a bit more, a bit what Ironman feels like. We used to say in Ironman that you can be skinny fat. And in other words, that you're very, very lean and you're very light, but you don't have a huge amount of strength in you. And I find that's what happens in people when they do amateur people, when they do Ironman, they get that kind of, yeah, they can go for a long time, but there's not a huge amount of power in their body. And, and I, I've started to feel that in my, you know, my ultra running last year in 2019, that I could go for a long time, but I didn't feel, powerful i didn't feel strong and i guess that's why you know i did a bit of speed work this year and so yeah that's been my takeaway stay 5k oh, fit and, and 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 as i said it makes you feel strong and powerful and i would imagine kyle you you must have got a huge amount of enjoyment out of mixing it up this year oh absolutely like i said it's it was the excuse i needed code was the excuse i needed to actually do this type of thing i've always said I, I wanted to do some shorter stuff and you know work on my 5k time and and these shorter things but I'd always just gone from long race to long race and everything was focused around the lead up to these big races because it has to be because they're such big long events. So this has been the perfect excuse to mix it up. And now that I've had that experience, I'm definitely going to incorporate that into my years going forward. I think it's good to to mix up not only the surface but the distance and, you know, in, and also then learning that, you know, I don't necessarily need to be running big volume all year. I can have those down periods and still run well. So, you know, I ran my 5K PB off. 50 or 60 k's a week in that six weeks leading up Mm. to it i wasn't actually running that much then but i was a lot fresher hitting quality sessions and whatnot and ran you know faster than i'd ever run before so i think valuable lessons were learned this year but definitely some good takeaways that i'll i'll use into the future as well yeah and i'd absolutely and i I don't know whether i mean trail running is so hard to compare isn't it race to race is so difficult 50k at blackhall to guzzler to glasshouse they're almost incomparable because the, the courses are so different but you know, a 5K at Paradise Point, a 5K at Kira, 
you can compare those. Even 5K at Coomera, you know Coomera's a little bit hillier, you know, in terms of a park run. But there's no hiding from the number there, isn't there? And I think sometimes the beauty in trail running is that you escape the times, but it can also, I imagine, be a negative in that it takes you away from being purely accountable, whereas if you do a 5K, you know if you're 30 seconds or a minute away from your PB, well, you're not fit. You're not as fit as you used to be, whereas in trail running, it's, I find sometimes it's easier to to escape that particular moment. And I guess that's what I liked about this year is that the 5K held me accountable. It made it, 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 it made it very stark in my face and go, well, here's how fit you really are. This is a measure of how fit you are. And I think it's interesting with that because different people are completely different with that. There's certain people that need that accountability of a number or they need to know that. And then there's other people that that is almost the worst thing they could do is all yeah. they can do it hold themselves accountable to a number. So it's probably good for you know, both of us probably to find that we've actually been able to hold, our, hold ourselves accountable and that's worked in our favour to do those types of races and, you know, actually have that specific goal in mind versus, you know, for some people it might be the opposite of going, I just need to get out and, and run and that's all I need to get the benefit out of it. But, again, it comes down to your personal style on how you get the most out of yourself. So it's interesting. It's kind of good to go through that experience because you tend to then work out what motivates you to the most and, you know, how to get the most out of yourself. So yeah, good, valuable lesson for the year. Yeah. And like you said, there are, there are moments in your running life where you need to drift away from a number, don't you? You just need to go, you know what? I do need to just go and hike or jog in the trails and that's it. I just, that's forget distance time numbers and things like that. But then there's times when yeah, you need to come back to accountability. So I guess this year for me, yeah, it has, it has been a, a moment of accountability, which has been good and something which I know is going to be useful next year. But let's go on to the next one. Um, uh, your video of the year. This is one I threw at you last week when we we're talking about what we could chat about. And I'd be interested to know we you know, videos fly around our, our messenger chat groups. Some of them are old, some of them are new. But what's what's the one you've enjoyed the most? Um, well, obviously, there's a lot of old videos that I always tend to go back to and watch because I just really enjoy watching them. But one of the newer ones that came out this year um, that I just really enjoyed watching because it was spectacular to watch and I thought the, the editing was great and whatnot was when they did the review from the Golden Trail Series Championships. They released oh, yeah. like an hour-long video of that as well because I loved watching the short little clips they put up. Um, and then they put up a whole hour kind of documentary on that series, that, you know, their championship event that was that stage race. So I loved that. I, I found it fascinating. It was a different, I like watching that type of racing because it's not a type of racing, that real mountain running that I generally get to do a whole lot of. Um, and it just looks spectacular. I like watching the fastest and fittest guys in the world compete like that. Um, and I love that. So I, you know, I'm very much more of that competitive person. I like watching the, the fast guys race and girls and smash fly down descents and all of that type of thing. So that was I really enjoyed watching that. Obviously, there's been hundreds and hundreds of videos and things go up over the year, and I've probably forgotten a whole bunch that I was watching earlier in the year that that I love watching. But that's one that stood out over these last couple of months for me that I really enjoyed watching. So um, I'm interested to hear yours here, Tom, because I know that well, you love love your YouTube videos. I, I love my YouTube videos, um, and I was going to ask. They did a multi language uh, versions of those. Have you, have you watched it in Spanish and French and and the other ones as well? <laughs> I can't say that I have. can't say that I would get much out of that. I'd probably like watching just the video content. <laughs> no, I've watched it in English and that was my, my only view. Well, we mentioned, I think we mentioned last year, didn't we, about how, what, what the Golden Trail brand and what the Golden Trail um, circuit has done for ultra racing. They've, they've really taken the, the, the filming of the live races to another level, haven't they? When we've seen where they, they pass from cameraman to cameraman or camera person to camera person, you know, one of them is running with a GoPro, the next one is with a gimbal and things like that. And, it's really, 
you know, in, in the past, we've only seen sort of finishing videos or starting videos, haven't we? But now we get to see what the climbs look like and the drone footage and stuff like that. It is extraordinary, the angles that they actually get. It's incredible. I love I love watching it. It, it excites me. And like we, we spoke about this last year, that it's kind of changing the way that races promote themselves and, you know, almost our expectations of these big events now that if they're not doing live broadcasting of these big events, everyone always gets a little frustrated, which is a lot to ask sometimes of these smaller events given how much goes into the production of these big events, but they're doing such a good job of it. And yeah. the fact that we can watch races almost live now as they go is just incredible. And I think it's a sign of where things are going with all of these trail and ultra running is it won't be long before they're all, you know, live broadcasts and, you know, you can sit there and watch most of them, which you can obviously with the big ones at the moment. So yeah, exciting yeah. times. So my video of the year, um, it's a bit of a, again, a very, very biased one. Um, my wife, Teresa, she's she's European, she's from Germany, and I'm from England, so I've always got a bit of a very much an interest in, in Europe and European history, and it's been 30 years since the reunification of East and West Germany, um, and so this year they actually brought out a special uh, reunification video where there were eight runners, I think there were eight runners, and they started basically, so don't think the Berlin Wall, but think where the actual, um, the divide between the east and west of Germany was. There's almost now still a, a complete fire trail, I guess, if you think of it in that way, through the middle of Germany. There's actually a track where you can run along where the old you know, divide used to be between the east and west. And this year, I think there was a group of eight of them. They ran from the most southern point all the way up to the most northern point, which is at the North Sea. Um, and so they, they ran from the south to the north, which I think was 1,400 kilometres and so this, I think it's a Salomon video, um, they chart these eight runners and they run with a relay baton and the relay baton, um, it's a, I guess it's about 30 centimetres tall um, and it's, you know, the colours of the German flag and they pass this relay baton on from person to person. I think the relay baton had a, um, had a Garmin watch or a Sunto watch or some sort of watch around it. But as the documentary goes, they run through the night, obviously, and through the day and I think they only give themselves... You know, a couple of weeks to get there. I think it's about 1,400 kilometres, about 1,400 kilometres for the eight runners to get to make the distance. But they talked to people who were alive and who lived just either side of the borders, people who lived just east or lived just west, and they they interviewed them about, you know, what it was like to live in the communist side of, of East Germany and what it was like to live in the, the democratic side of West Germany. And it's just a fascinating video. But like anything that Solomon does, the, the cinematography is just incredible. The drone footage and the different parts of the country that they run through. So, yeah, very, very biased one for me because it's, I guess it's part of our family history, but uh, just a fascinating one to see, again, a team event, a relay event, uh, something which is historical, um, something which, you know, Teresa and I have talked about now when we go back to visit her family. We're going to look at that, um, you know, obviously not running the whole thing, but just to run you know, 20 or 30 kilometre sections of it and just to see what it's like. Um, so that was my video of the year. I think it's called The Wall. I think that's what it's yeah. called. But if you typed in, you know, go on, to, go on to Salomon, it's only come out a couple of months ago. But there's been some great videos. There's been some amazing ones. I watched one the other day about um, Gary Robbins. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember what it's called, but Gary Robbins is the guy who the Ginger Runner did the video called Where Dreams Go to Die a couple of years ago when he just missed finishing the Barkley Marathons. Um, and he's just moved out from Vancouver. He's moved inland, Chilliwack, I think it's called, he's moved inland to. And so Gary basically charts his his path across four mountains, which is 110 miles, I think. Um, and I tell you what, it's only come out in the last couple of weeks or so, but watch that one as well because you, started, you said you started watching it, Kyle, but I guarantee this is the greatest finish 
to an informal do-it-yourself 100-mile race. It is extraordinary to see the emotion on this guy's face when he runs. And he runs through this park where the lake is. And there's people just having barbecues and picnics and things like that. And he's running at the end of, I can't remember how many hours it was. It was 35 or 36 hours it takes him. It takes him a long time. And he's very emotional. His tears strolling down his, you know, rolling down his face. And what he does at the end of this race is, is unbelievable. It's so good. So that that's that's up there as well. So yeah, the the wall and but also Gary Robbins is one. The big um, chill is what it's called. The big chill. The big chill. Yes. Um, definitely give that a watch. Yeah. So that's that was mine. But um, yeah, some great videos and as always, you know, it's it's wonderful to watch these and they're inspiring, aren't they? They're, they're whenever you need a bit of motivation, a bit of a kick, you just got to jump onto any of these, whether it's you know a professional one by Salomon or North Face or anything like that, or whether it's you know, amateur ones done by other people. There's some, some great ones out there. But um, let's talk 2021, Kyle. We're nearly there. We're a day and a half to go. Uh, Wednesday the 30th it is. But what have you got lined up? What's Well, what's before the... we do that, I want to hear, because the only other thing we haven't spoken about so far about 2020, which I want to yeah. hear from you, is yeah. our park run results for the year. Oh! <laughs> but I didn't want to let you forget because I knew that's your favourite part of the whole year. We can't let you forget that. <laughs> As you've done last year was... Top 10 female and top 10 male performances of 2020. So you did it last year. I know last year we're obviously keeping track, but this year it's obviously been a lot more interrupted with Parkrun being off from, I believe it was almost the end of March or so that Parkrun stopped and then we've just had Parkrun open back up in Queensland in the last, I think it's roughly six or seven weeks. So there's been a pretty limited window for, you know, all of the local southeast Queensland runners to get out there and do Parkrun. So... There's been a few late entrants that we've tried to, to do. So a few of us have gone out lately to try and get our park run in. So I'm I interested in a few people here. I know. I knew you'd. I knew Bear you'd with me for a sec because my, my phone's gone flat. So I'm actually going inside my house here <laughs> to look this up on my computer. We so can't. I apologise <laughs> if there's a bit more of an echo for the next minute, but I'm just going right. to. I couldn't let you forget. I couldn't let you forget. We had to get this in for the year because I think oh, I'm sure this is the only reason everyone has listened for the whole year. I know why you want. It. I know why you want this on for the year as well. So I apologise. There's a bit of an echo, but um, so I'm just sitting at my desktop here because my phone's gone flat. But yes, top ten. I, you know what? I, I tried to find. I didn't write them down from last year. I have to go back and listen to the um, to the uh, one we did at the end of the year in terms of how these compare. But like you said, there's only been, I think there's only been about twelve or thirteen weeks out of the fifty-two that people have had a chance to do this. But let's go through them. Here we go. We'll do females first, and. Amazingly, the actual locations, remember last year it was all Kira and Paradise Point, pretty much dominated. This year, no, 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 not even close to domination. So um, in 10th, for the good. now I've, I've been through the ones around the Gold Coast here, so um, I'm pretty sure I've got them all, but if I've missed someone out, I'd, I'd, my apologies. Um, I've tried to take in as many of them as I possibly could, and I went up as far as Coomera as kind of the top point and down to, down to I didn't take in Kingscliff, that's over the border, uh, but I took in Kira down there. So... Tenth place for the females, Georgia Grimsey, 1908. Let's count this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes, I do have ten. Yeah, so Georgia was in tenth, 1908. Nicola Keegan, 1906. And Erin Wallace, 1906. Um, in tied four, that would be eighth place. Yep. Yeah. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. Regan Ellis, 1857 at Varsity in seventh. Leah Simpson, there's a name that I remember seeing on the um, South Coast cross-country scene at um, when she was in primary school and high school. 
um, little sister of Caitlin Simpson, who was a very good athlete herself. So 1856, Mudrabar, Kyle. There we go. Good to hear. Janthea Anderson, 1854. Joanne Crackett, 1831. That's fourth. Now, look at this for the top three. Indy Seckham in 1754 at Broadbeach. So Broadbeach, the dog park. Always difficult, isn't it, to avoid the dogs there? We know sometimes they're off leash. Um, But that could be why there's a quick time there. And here we go. Tennille Ellis down at Kira, 1724. And then the number one, the fastest time that I could find for the year. Uh, And, again, if I'm wrong with this, please correct me if anyone knows. Reen Ringy. There he is, a name from the GC50. 1723 at Broadbeach as well. I think it was the same day that Indy actually, you know, did her time at 1754 at Broadbeach. So Broadbeach. Yeah. Last one. First and and third for the females was Broadbeach. Interesting. Go Broadbeach. So so the top time, 1723, was Reen just a second in front of Tennille uh, and through to 10th Georgia in 1908. So here we go, the men. So, again, a huge variety and – and a first-place time um, that – and a course which I was very, very surprised by, and as we say this, Kyle, you know, I'm, I'm still surprised by it. So I'm actually going to type um, this in while I'm here because I really want to double-check it because I'm not – I'm pretty sure – I'll look it up for you there as well. I'm pretty sure I've got all these absolutely right, but, you know what, I know this is going to be checked by people. I'm just going through event history here. And uh, there it is, 12th of the 12th. Yep, it's there. So here we go, 10th place. At, down at Kira, Grant Williams, 1640. Ninth place, Ori Tatum at Kira, 1637. In eighth place, Luke Kilborn, uh, good mate of ours, member of the Wednesday Walkers, uh, at Paradise Point, 1627. That was only a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, in sixth place, Michael Cacciola, 1618 at Paradise Point. Here's Broadbeach again. 16 minutes, 16 seconds, Luke Harvey at Broadbeach. So they're in again. It's, it's, it's a new place to go for speed. Um, another Cachola, Jackson Cachola, 16 of 14 at Paradise Point. I wonder if that was the same day that his, his father did it. Uh, your good self, Kyle, in at fourth. Yes. You just missed the podium. Got my, six, my one park run for the year. 16.07, Paradise Point. Um, again, a very quick course there. But here we go. Here's the top three, all under 16. And I'm kind of glad that this, even though it's a COVID year that has happened, to get you from for males, you've kind of got to get under that 16 in order podium. And I I remember it being very, very competitive last year. I wonder off the top of my head whether all 10 were under. I'm pretty sure they were, you know. Yeah, it was up there. I'm pretty sure it was. Because I've got a feeling that Anthony Ferugia and Troy Rustin were like, they're fifteen forty-one. Yeah, I, I think they were high up in the, in the, the ten. Tom Brimlow just snuck in with a fifteen fifty-one or so, whatever he ran. I think he just snuck into the top yeah. ten. But here we go, top three. So at Varsity, there it is again. It's on the on the chart at fifteen forty-five. Blade Rose. Um, also, here's a useless, interesting fact: Paradise uh, Tambourine Park Run record holder. Blade Roses. Um, uh, so he's got fifteen forty-five there at Varsity. Second place, second quicker, 15.44, is Michael Hall at Paradise Point. Um, I remember Michael when he was a young 9-, 10-year-old at um, A.B. Patterson College, being part of the run club there every single every morning. So, yeah, Michael's a very dedicated athlete. So Michael, must he's only a young fellow now. He must only have been his late teenage years as well, but Paradise Point. And I thought that was the quickest one. And, of course, that's only, that's only a couple of seconds slower than the record there, isn't it, from Troy and Anthony, which I think is 
One second, I think. I had fifteen forty-one in my head, but you might want to check that. Oh, maybe it is. Um, maybe it is fifteen forty-one. And here we go. I've checked it again, literally this morning. I, I I don't know of the gentleman who's got this time, but it's an extraordinary time on a on a course where you wouldn't expect it. Varsity has the fastest male park run of the year: fifteen minutes and sixteen seconds at Varsity, which is incredible. Because anyone who's run Varsity, you know, there's there's some turns there. There's some quite severe turns. Um, Tim Fisk. There we go. Do you know him, Kyle? No, I don't. I don't know him. There we go. Great time, though. That's impressive. In so, a COVID year, hot would have been hot too. Well, I'm just looking at the day. On that particular day, he ran 15.16. Kelvin Martin in second place, 18.59. So big win. He's, he's won <laughs> by a huge amount. That is a big win. He's won by a massive amount. So there we go, Kyle. You've managed to double checking as well. Paradise Point, 1541. There's only been four people. Only four people have run sub 16 at Paradise Point. Is that right? Just letting you know. I would have have Only four people. No. Troy, Anthony, Michael, and then Nick Kirkup ran 1550, and then it's Jordan McClellan. He's run 1606, but he could obviously run faster, and then I've run 1607. That's it. Wow. Well, this, 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 this uh, so yeah, congratulations to those who made the top 10 uh, for Parkland. It's, it's a yearly event. I can't believe I nearly forgot it, Cole. It's what I've been talking about for the last week, and I nearly I forgot it. I couldn't let you forget. Um, so what was I going to say? So yes, yeah, so um, uh, we'll do that every single year. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm sure next year the times are going to be quicker, um, but it'll be interesting to see how they compared to last year. But this brings us in nicely, Kyle, to our very last topic. I know for you it's all about trying to cut seconds off. You said you needed to cut some seconds off um, your 50K. We needed to cut seconds off your 5K. And also now then, you've just almost given us a new category where Kyle has to cut time off. You need seven or eight seconds at Paradise Point to go under 16 and become the fifth person. What's 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 the big aim for 2021? Uh, I've got a few. So running specifically, I really, if I go to UTA 50, I've got to run under five hours for UTA for the 50K. Yep. I missed it by 40 seconds a couple of years ago when I went down, and I feel like I'm in a lot better shape now than, than what I was, and I think what I've learned over the last few years and having a couple more years under my belt, I'm fairly confident I can do that, but that is definitely a big target for next year if I go to UTA is to run under five hours. So four-something at UTA for the 50 is definitely up there as a, a big goal for me. Yep. Um the other thing, like I'd still like to run another 5K PB. I, I think I'm going to keep that in there as an ongoing goal. That kind of holds me accountable to try and keep that speed up. Um, yep. So that's definitely something I want to try and do is run kind of more to that low mid-15s, which eventually my ultimate goal there is I've always said it since I started running, lifelong goal, bucket list item. I want to break 15 minutes for 5K. <laughs> so I don't know how long that's going to take me, but that's something that I've definitely got on the bucket list at some point, which will hold me accountable to that speed work now is to eventually try and break 15. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. Yeah. But definitely try and break a new 5K PB. Um, and then the other one, which is a bit more of a, a potential for next year, is I'm, I still haven't raced a marathon yet. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely on the cards to, to race my first marathon. Um, and I've spoken to a few people about this, and I almost I find it funny because I've done... 26 or 27 ultra marathons now but i've never raced a marathon and i almost respect that distance too much and in my head i'm going oh no that's too hard to run a, to mm. race a marathon i'd much rather go run a long 50k or 100k so potentially next year racing my first marathon so they're kind of my running specific actual performance goals for next year so i've got a couple of other things which i'll chat about in a second but they're my my running specific goals so do you have yeah. any specific running goals that you've got your eye on for next year 
Um, again, so very similar to yours, the 5K time, bringing that down a little bit more, maybe knocking, you know, 20, 20 25 seconds off would be really good. Um, and I guess, yeah, for me, like like I said at this time last year, it's, it's all UTA-based, just, just trying to – but I, I guess also – put as a bit of a goal not to get too focused on that as well i want to i want to do it but i guess as i said earlier that's why keeping the 5k in there will kind of deflect a bit of attention away from just focusing on uta and and yes i mean in triathlon world they talk about a race b race c race and yeah if i was to choose one from the year that i really want to succeed at that it would be the uta 100 um but yeah that's that's it for me really the really just just stay quick at the five have a really good day at uta um and then see what happens for the rest of the year no, I like it. Good, good goals. Yeah. Um, I had a few other things written down, like I suppose not necessarily performance-based based goals, but other things I want to kind of do for next year. But one, I want to try to do some new races. I feel like something for me that I've spoken about before is I tend to do a lot of similar races. I like just kind of comparing times from previous years and trying to better it, but trying to mix things up a little bit and do some different things, hence why we did this 12-hour last-minute standing run on the weekend. Just mix things up a bit, keep it interesting, some new, you know, different destinations and explore some new trails and, you know, areas to run. So that's something I want to try to incorporate next year is some some different races that I haven't done before. Um, another little running-based goal, I want to try and finish Run New Zealand next year. Obviously, I'll be yep. talking about Run Down Under this year, which I'm not going to quite yep. do, but... That's another goal that'll string on for next year. Um, And then another one, I suppose, more around the podcast is I think this will probably be similar for both of us, but trying to build this a little bit more, try to get to a few more events and do a bit more work around some specific running events doing the podcast because I know we both enjoy doing it. So I think that's something we can, you know, we'll both kind of aim towards next year is making that a little bit of a priority to try and do a bit more around races themselves with the podcast. So they're kind of some other little goals I've got for, for 2021. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. Getting some, we've really enjoyed, haven't we, this year getting the race directors on. Uh, we've had Andrew on, yeah. we've had Steve on. Um, we've chatted to you know people about the actual race day itself. We've talked to Haley, we've talked to you know Troy earlier in the year and things like that. So, yeah, I guess we'd be really interested to know as well from the listeners for what you actually things that you've really enjoyed, things that haven't interested interested you, things that you would like maybe to put in there. Um, we would love to get out to more races. Um, sometimes it's hard being at a race and not actually racing. Um, uh, I'm certainly not going to conduct any podcast interviews while on course or while racing myself. But yeah, it'd be we'd we'd really like to expand it a bit more and, and see what what new things we can come up with next year. Um, and Kyle, I guess I've just thought of it now: the four thousandth goat loop, surely next year. I don't think we're too far away, to be honest. I think we'd be getting there. I think we'd be getting there pretty quickly. I don't think we're too far away from it. Well, yes, there could that. be some more goat loop, goat loop action next year. Yeah, we'll have a look at that, and we'll, um, we'll in our first podcast next year, we'll, we'll mention how many goat loops have been done so far and where we're up to. So, but Kyle, January, what have we got? We've got the Southeast Queensland Trail Series, two events of that. We've got the Hare and Hounds, um, we've got the Tambourine Relays, and we've got um, the Biwa at night. So I'm sure we'll see people out there. But I guess. From you and our Kyle, to, to everyone at home who's been listening, we really appreciate it. We love doing this. We love chatting about running and um, we appreciate all the little, you know, just if, when people see us out and they shake our hand and say thanks for the podcast and we really enjoy it. It's those little messages that we get. We really do appreciate it. We love doing this, but it's always nice to hear that people enjoy listening to us. You know, our mums are going to listen to this and our, our partners are going to listen to this. They're, they're guaranteed, but everyone else, we, we appreciate the fact that you all the support it. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so, yeah, a huge thank you to everyone at home. We, we love doing it, but we, we appreciate all your support. Perfect. That's another yeah. year done. 2020 in the That's books. Yeah. Let's hope done. for a bigger and better 2021. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, uh, we'll chat to you guys in the new year, but yeah. enjoy Happy it. New you year. Do yeah. If you're doing the Resolution Run tomorrow night, um, Steve Jackson's event, I think it's at Emerald Lakes, isn't it, this year? That should be really good. It's a great way to finish out the year. Um, with all the, I'm not sure if there's fireworks this year, but there's normally food stands and kids stands and great racing and stuff. So, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm sure we'll see you guys around the traps uh, in January, racing hard um, and racing well. We will see everyone in 2021. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. See you.